You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec slash lovealways. This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. In this episode of The Way of Love podcast, I talk with Julia Ayala Harris, who was elected president of the House of Deputies by her peers at the 80th General Convention of the Episcopal Church in 2022. She is the first Latina and woman of color to hold the position. President Ayala Harris has more than two decades of experience working in the nonprofit sector, particularly with faith-based nonprofits, and she holds a Master of Public Administration degree. Prior to her election as president of the House of Deputies, she served the church in multiple roles, including on executive council as chair of the Joint Standing Committee for Mission Within the Episcopal Church. We discuss her priorities as president of the House of Deputies, how the faith tradition she grew up in formed her role, and also how focusing on accessibility, inclusivity, and safety fosters institutional accountability. A note of caution to our listeners, this episode contains descriptions of sexual violence that some listeners may well find particularly difficult to hear. Well, Madam President, thank you and welcome to The Way of Love and just thank you for doing this. I know how your schedule is. It's pretty busy. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Long time (laughs) listener, first time visitor. Oh, it's cool. It's wonderful. Oh, it's great. Well, you know, tell us, this podcast kind of goes all over the church and beyond the church. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I am. As a person. As a person. Oh, uh, I always feel like I do have to start off saying I'm Julia Yella Harris, the president of the House of Deputies, because that's a role that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, so usually I end up answering that introduction with, well, what's present in the house of deputies, but I'll save that for another time. (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, I am, uh, oh geez. I'm from Chicago. That's completely a part of my identity. Like being from Uh Buffalo is for you presiding Uh bishop. Uh And, um, so I defend our hot dogs and our cubs and our bears, you know, Uh as much as I can. And um, uh, I now live in Oklahoma and I've been here for about nine years. And that's been uh, a real blessing to be in the middle of the country and to get to know um, uh, Mm. a state that has a really unique culture and history. Mm. Um, And in particular with um, all the indigenous communities and the sovereign nations that uh, reside here in the state of Oklahoma. Right. And my husband and I have been married 20 years and we've traveled and lived um, in East Africa and a bunch of different states. And uh-huh. we have a 15-year-old daughter who is about uh-huh. to start to learn to drive. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God bless you. 
The force be with you. Oh, God. God <laughs> Thank bless. you. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we're looking at that precipice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of a young driver. Oh, and you have a dog. Yes, and we have a dog uh, named Ani, who uh, at some point will likely barge into my office. She's figured out, you know, dog, she's figured out the exact place to push her head to open the door. So sometimes we'll be in really important meetings and she'll come in and shake and start making sounds to try to get my attention. And it's so (laughs) funny. I'm sure she'll do that in the middle of this podcast. Oh, my gosh. And I think the two of us, we met some years ago. Um, you remember that? I mean, that's terrible. That's the <laughs> that way. And I mean, we were on a task force together. I yes. think. Yes. yes. <laughs> you remember what that was? We <laughs> were on. It was called Trek, the task uh-huh. force for reimagining the Episcopal Church, and you know that started in 2012. So I Good suppose Lord. this means wow. we've been working together for 10 years. Good grief! I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, it was that far back. I was. A wow. young adult. <laughs> right. And I I wasn't on Medicare yet. <laughs> I, am, I have my card now. <laughs> it's so funny. Wow. And what a journey. And that task force was about, you know, looking at how we could reimagine the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you made the joke the other day about our report being the quickest report to... <laughs> To be deep six, as they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> when it hit general convention. But oh, yeah. I think that one of the things that I keep coming back to is the relationships that we all made on that. And yeah. and and how we've continued to be in contact and the folks who came out of that from a leadership development uh, perspective. Because I was mm-hmm. the person who had the most critical distance from institutional leadership on that. Yeah. On that task force. Yeah. And now now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> well, I got a funny feeling the spirit is uh doing something and uh Trek is still in business. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that that leads us oh, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> But you know, it does lead us to kind of and and some of the folk may really wonder, well, um, I get the question all the time. Well, what does a presiding bishop do? I mean, my kids actually ask that regularly. What is it you do? I know you keep getting on airplanes, going places. What do you do? <laughs> what does the president of the House of Deputies do? I mean, what is it? What is what is that office? Because it's it important is, in the life of this yeah. church. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing. It is um, essentially it's a position that's quite focused on governance. And so Uh the governance of the church. And so, you know, there's the canonical duties that, you know, if if people are interested in the canons, I could go on and on about because I love it. But I I know that not everyone likes to do deep dives into the canons. Um, But really what it is, is doing a lot of appointments to interim bodies, working with you to do those appointments, Mm -hmm. of which there's like something like 750 uh, positions that need to be filled. Um, so going through the application that goes out and then finding, Mm -hmm. uh, people that are good fits into those openings, but also it is presiding over the house of deputies at general convention, which is the, Uh uh, lay and clergy, uh, deputies to general convention. And Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of, how do we say, there's a lot of um, interest right now in uh, lay leadership. And, mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that the president of the House of Deputies, that I'm a lay person, and that mm-hmm. I could be, you know, the presiding officer alongside you presiding bishop as a lay person. Mm-hmm. And so what are, so lately, I've been finding myself as a ambassador of lay leadership that lay yeah. lay people have a voice in our church that is pretty unique uh right. to other denominations and that right. um we can be involved and integral in the life of the church um from a governance mm-hmm. perspective from mm-hmm. a faith leader perspective yeah. uh, from a policy perspective wow that's a great summary of that well I, that, that really is and it's it is unique in i suspect for the most part, most of the Anglican communion, even mm-hmm. in, in our tradition, um, um, pretty unique. The the uh, fun fact, probably irrelevant, but um, that there's, as far as I know, there may only be one person who's been both president of the House of Deputies and presiding bishop. And I believe that was William White. I think so. Actually, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. I mean, there may, some historian out there is gonna correct me, but I think he's the only person who's actually done both. Um, but you you came in with um, some real priorities, and they're pretty important uh, to the life of the church-wide community and modeling for the whole church. But what were some of those priorities, and what what were they about? Yeah, I have decided in my discernment, um, particularly after I was elected, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of got over that shock. Um, mm-hmm. It was okay. Well, now how will I lead? And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in prayer and reflection and came to three, I'm calling them priority themes. And what they are, are they're like value lenses that I'll use in my leadership Uh as president of the House of Deputies. And they are inclusivity, accessibility, and safety. Uh And it's about, again, the president is a governance, um, Uh sort of a governance focused role. So Uh how can we make our governance structures more accessible, inclusive, and safer. Mm-hmm. And for things like accessibility, that comes down to, you know, we <laughs> Episcopalians love to have committees for everything. We have this <laughs> yeah. very democratic denom- I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic in Chicago. And uh-huh. so coming to the Episcopal Church, one of the things that I was so attracted to that I still deeply love is that we're a very democratic system. Mm-hmm. And we have that from the vestry at your local parish to, you know, delegates to diocesan convention, to general convention, all the way up. Mm -hmm. And and yet, in some ways, we make it so complicated that people have a hard time understanding. Yeah. Or it's not a part of our formation of new Episcopalians is -hmm. this democratic system. And so one of the ways that I want to be able to exercise my leadership is to make our governance structures more accessible to more people um, mm-hmm. in formation, but also in being able to attend meetings and um, being able to really participate in the life of the church. Uh-huh. And then a similar way would be inclusivity. So um, pushing for ways for our governance structures to be more inclusive. We do a lot of simultaneous interpretation mm-hmm. um, in Spanish, which is a great way to include uh, Spanish speakers. And mm-hmm. recently, um, I partnered with the um, uh, 
general convention office. So that way at an interim bodies meeting, we were able to have simultaneous American sign language as well as cart captioning for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Right. And we have that at general convention now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to make them more inclusive, which also means a culture piece to it and not just having, um, simultaneous interpretation, but for people to feel like they can belong in the structure. Uh-huh. So our structure is being more welcoming to people who maybe don't look like, or come from backgrounds that are like uh-huh. what we think of as institutional leadership. Uh-huh. Um, so, ex- you know, being able to accept more people from diverse backgrounds. And then with safety, that has to do with um, when we start opening up our structures to be more accessible to people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we become more inclusive, that means we're also inviting people who might be more vulnerable to, um, you know, to uh, feeling uncomfortable in spaces. And so really also um, taking on how important uh, programs like Safe Church, Safe Communities are, and Mm -hmm. that that's not just a training that we check off And then we move on to something else, but saying this is important that people feel safe in our Mm -hmm. churches and in our spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are my three priority themes. I'm very, um, it's so funny because I have a whole spreadsheet, you know, I love spreadsheets and praise praise the Lord. I'm I'm so glad that you do. (laughs) So I have a whole spreadsheet that I keep filling out with those themes and then you know, different oh, yeah. priority or different programs among the church or ways that we can be more accessible and inclusive and safer. And, um, you know, so I feel like I could go on and on with different yeah. ideas, but we've already started doing them. We're already moving in those directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really hoping that we can, we can make great strides in those ways. Wow. It's Let so people you... can feel more belonging in our church. Yeah, That's so important. And these are things that I think Jesus also taught us. Uh Uh-huh. No question. Uh Uh-huh. So what do the words accessibility, inclusivity, and safety mean to you? And what kinds of past experiences do they conjure? Can I ask, I mean, what I'm I'm really asking you, um, because that emerges out out of not just your life story, but our context as a church, as a community. But I'm wondering um, if, if you had to do, uh, not an Augustine's Confessions and, and, and spill your guts, I don't mean that, um, but, <laughs> but sort of your spiritual journey, your oh. spiritual journey, um, what would that look like? What are some of the elements? Because I just think the wisdom of the three priorities that you articulate comes out of a spiritual journey. Um, and, but I'm not trying to tie it to that, but what's your spiritual journey? Cause I got a feeling there's a whole lot of folk who are curious. Oh, that is, yeah, it is tied to my spiritual journey over. I mean, yeah. I talked about it being, you know, my prayer life this summer, but you're absolutely right. If I look back on it, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I grew up Roman Catholic. It was the uh-huh. 1980s in the Archdiocese uh-huh. of Chicago. And mm. um, what's unique, well, not in t- unfortunately uh, too terribly unique, but um, 
the churches that I attended, I, I am not a, uh, th this is during a time when the Archdiocese of Chicago was shuffling around um, uh, sexual predators. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I should say there's a trigger yeah. warning here. So I'm going to sure. talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some difficult topics with trigger warnings. Sure. Um, so growing up in the 1980s uh, in the Archdiocese of Chicago, um, there there were these, I am not, the, the Archdiocese was shuffling around these sexual uh -huh. predators. I am not a, a victim of, mm -hmm. uh, of any of those priests. Right. However, and in, in, um, people who go to church for a long time, they know this, it, their families talk. Yeah. And so I grew up in a, in a context where my grandmother would move us from one Catholic church to another in our town, in our mm -hmm. sort of neighborhood, I should say, um, you know, based on what the stories were. And, oh. and I would hear, I was one of those kids that was always listening to the adults. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah. so... And there's this sort of intuitive sense that children have as well. And so I was somehow already acutely aware that um, even though I love going to church, I was what Episcopalians mm -hmm. would call an acolyte. I was a, an uh -huh. altar girl. I was one of the first altar girls at my parish because I went up to the priest and insisted that girls should be allowed to be altar boys is what I yeah. said. You yeah. know, I want to be an altar boy, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and so he eventually, you know, started allowing altar girls. Did he really? Funny. Yes. Okay. Good for him. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, and I was such a church geek, even back then, you know, I would walk to church in the snow uh -huh. on my own so I could go, you know, be an altar girl on Sundays. Yeah. And then I would stay in case no one showed up for the next service, you know, so I loved church. Oh, wow. Um, but at the same mm. time knew that it was a complicated place where not everyone was safe. Yeah. Yeah. From a young age. Um, and then, um, I went on and as a teenager, and I'm pretty open about this, mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I became pregnant at 15 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. had, a, had a baby who I placed for open adoption. So we continued uh -huh. to have a relationship. Yeah. And I saw him not too long ago. And uh, he's 26 now. And, yeah. you know, he's oh, an amazing yeah. adult, you know, perfect in every way. Uh -huh. and, um, and when I came back during that pregnancy or after the pregnancy, after I gave birth, my Catholic church didn't have a place for me. I was 15. I had this very adult experience. They didn't have a youth, uh, anything after confirmation didn't exist. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, um, and so, and from that, uh, from his birth, I had this spiritual awakening. The moment he was born, I, I said to myself, oh my gosh, God is uh -huh. real. God has a plan and God's showing up. Uh -huh. And so um, I went back to my home church, my Catholic church, and they didn't, they didn't have anything for me. They didn't have, they didn't know mm -hmm. what to do with me. And um, I had friends who were evangelical. Mm -hmm. And so they scooped me up and showed me youth group. And yeah. I started going to the evangelical church and um, they are so wow. good with their biblical literacy. Uh -huh. <laughs> you do, now I have to admit, you know, your Bible, man. That's I know. <laughs> but <laughs> you do, <laughs> and that's that's from the evangelicals. You know, oh. they're very good with some of that biblical literacy, and so I got really involved hmm. in the even non-denominational evangelical church, and ended up going to an evangelical college, uh -huh. and um, you know, more Bible there. Uh, 
and some of it's slipping wow. over time. If I don't keep up on it, I gotta keep yeah. gotta keep up on that stuff. Yeah, it's like that another Bible, language. The Bible yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, at my college, um, and so here's another trigger warning: is I I had an a, an a, an attempted sexual assault by a classmate, mm-hmm. and there my um, my evangelical college. Uh, decided that I was the problem and not him. Oh. And, and so I had to really struggle again with yeah. here's another uh, Christian community mm-hmm. that, um, and I was a scholarship student that welcomed mm-hmm. me in on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, there were uh, at the time, I believe 11 people who identified as Latino on the whole campus. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we were in a little group um, that we would get mm-hmm. together once a month and and so I had to really struggle with what does it mean to be in Christian community if Christian communities keep acting this way? Yeah, yeah. And I had a real crisis of faith. And um, I had a professor who was Episcopalian that I trusted mm-hmm. and a classmate who also identified as Episcopalian. And in the spring of 2001, I said, you know, I'm going to do one last go at this. And I walked into an Episcopal church and felt like I, it was my home, my whole life. Never looked back. Wow. And it was the act actually of a priest putting the communion wafer in my hand as I knelt. Uh And when she put the wafer in my hand, she had a painted nail. She had painted her nails and I looked up because she was a woman. She was a woman. I got it. Yeah. And it had never occurred to me that women could be priests or pastors or in leadership in the church. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, the Episcopal church ordains women. Cause I didn't do all the homework before I walked in. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I just walked in. And so that was indicative of me, of me saying there's more here. There's a lot more here. And, and so, you know, I, I, I decided to leave that college. Um, I joined AmeriCorps. I learned about the Episcopal church in a different setting in a different part of the country and, uh, just became a sponge and took it all in. I had great formation around Mm -hmm. governance and the general convention and what we believe as Episcopalians, Mm -hmm. uh, really intensive membership courses at a, at a church in Tallahassee. Huh. Florida. In Tallahassee. Oh, in yeah. Tallahassee. Yeah. Cause yeah. I had moved across the country to AmeriCorps and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And, um, it just, it, I, I just, it's something where I've ever since that moment, I've been committed ever since. And from there, my husband and I, you know, we were dating and we got married. We became youth ministers at Episcopal church. Uh-huh. We went abroad to East Africa with the Mennonites, but you know, continue yeah. to identify as Episcopalian. They kind of didn't know what to do with us. We we're so different. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we lived in Kenya and South Sudan. At the time, it was uh-huh. Southern Sudan. Came uh-huh. back, you know, raised our daughter in the Episcopal Church. She's actually getting confirmed this weekend. I'm very proud really? of Really? Oh, yes. how wonderful. Oh, God. <laughs> it's happening. Oh, oh my and, God. Um, it's her choice, you know, to get confirmed. Yeah. Not, you know, make it, I'm not forcing her to do that. You know, and and it's just wild, you know, to be in this role and to love our church so much. And I think that that's part of 
you can see some of the themes in there yeah. about inclusivity and making it more accessible information, but also safety and yeah. having these experiences of knowing that our Christian communities aren't always safe and yeah. how we don't always handle that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, just that the flip side of it, and, and I want to make sure that I say this because I can almost just fall in love with the church and not explain it, is that when I talk about we have so much to offer as Episcopalians, mm-hmm. it's because when we're our best selves, we really are very intentional and inclusive and welcoming mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. so many people. Yes. And we can really be a spiritual home or even if people aren't ready to have a spiritual mm-hmm. home, a community where they can feel belonging yeah. and they can be themselves because I think that we can really affirm as a church and a part of our Episcopal identity, we are poised to affirm everyone's God image within themselves, their imago yes. dei that they were born with. Yes. And and their authentic selves. Mm. And yet sometimes we get so wrapped up in, um, you know, uh, our history as the Episcopal church, how we used to be, you know, the church of the lawyers and the doctors and, you know, the elites in our towns or the elites in our country. And we lose sight on the people around us who are hurting that could really use our love. Yes. And that's what I really appreciate about your leadership, presiding bishop, and even this podcast mm-hmm. called The Way of Love. Were you, wow. It was a little bit like St. Augustine's wow. Confessions. <laughs> it was powerful and beautiful and holy as are you god bless you and we are so blessed that you are the president of house of deputies thank you for being on the way of love and for sharing your journey and why you stand for what you stand for with such integrity learn more about the way of love and creating your own rule of life based around the practices turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. Learn more about President Ayala Harris at juliaayalaharris.com and learn more about the House of Deputies at houseofdeputies.org. The Way of Love podcast executive producer is Jeremy Tackett. Our podcast engineer is Ellie Singer. Research and guest relations are managed by Amanda Stofsted, and our project manager is Chris Sikama. I'm Michael Curry, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love. God love you.